Hello, everybody. This is Joseph P. Farrell with news and views from the Nefarium on Thursday, January 16th, 2020. And as you probably guessed, uh, the news I want to talk about is the sudden resignation of the Russian government yesterday after uh, President Vladimir Putin's address, which I guess amounts to the kind of the Russian equivalent of the American State of the Union address. And let me warn you right up front, folks, I suspect many of you are going to have big issues with my take on this. That's fine, but at least please try to be polite, <laughs> okay? Um, before we get to this, I, I'm, I've selected two articles uh, one from Zero Hedge, but the other from an American tabloid newspaper, uh, for those of you overseas, perhaps you're not familiar with it, called the New York Post. Uh, this is a New York City tabloid newspaper. Before we get to all of this, we do have a vid chat tomorrow at two in the afternoon. I've been getting questions uh, ever since the holiday break. This uh, vid chat tomorrow will be our first vid chat of 2020. So I've already got a lot of questions. So the likelihood is I'm going to start that vid chat early, probably at 1.30 uh, in the afternoon, U.S. Central Time. And as always, I will be in there earlier than that for a little um, pre-chat. But anyway, I want to talk about this resignation in the Russian government, because I do not think it means what much of the Western media is going to try and portray it to mean. And for that reason, I've selected this article in the New York Post and its version, although it's uh, a considerably toned down version of what you would get if you're overseas in this country concerning Vladimir Putin on both sides of the media, uh, leftist media and rightist media in this country, particular television, uh, just does not understand, in my opinion, and perhaps willfully does not understand Mr. Putin or post-Yeltsin Russia. So we're going to get into that, but I want to read the New York Post article first, a few snippets from it, and I want you to listen to the language that's being used, and then we're going to go to the Zero Hedge article and read just a couple of paragraphs from there, and then I'm going to try and give you my own perspective on this, which is kind of a long-term uh, perspective. All right, so here we go. This is the New York Post. This article is by Yaron Steinbuch, and it's titled, Putin Calls for Constitutional Shakeup. And I'm going to begin with the first few paragraphs and then kind of skip around. This is a short article. So here we go. Quote, Russian Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev and the entire government resigned Wednesday after President Vladimir Putin proposed a shakeup of the Constitution, okay, to allow him to remain the leader after his presidency ends. And let me stop right there and, and uh, tell everybody who's not been watching the American media that some of the American media are, are calling this kind of a legal coup in the guise of a constitutional change. And that may indeed be true, but again, my take is a little different. Anyway, continuing, Medvedev, who served as a placeholder president from 2008 to 2012, 
to allow Putin to observe term limits. In Russia, you cannot serve more than two consecutive terms. So in other words, Putin can leave office and then come back as president and serve two more terms, all right? And he needed to step down in light of his mentor's proposed changes in government. A few hours after the Russian strongman's address, that being Putin, of course, in other words, um, read between the lines a little bit there. Another Joseph Stalin, <laughs> okay? The two men appeared together on national TV to say the government was resigning. Medvedev said the constitutional proposals would make significant changes to the country's balance of power. And so the government in its current form has resigned. We should provide the president. Now, this is still Medvedev talking. Listen. We should provide the president of our country with the possibility to take all the necessary measures, unquote, to carry out the changes, he said. Now, wait a minute. The government just resigned. And one of the principal uh, leaders of the resigning party just said, well, we should give Putin all the powers he needs to make these constitutional changes. All further decisions will be taken by the president. Putin thanked Medvedev, expressing satisfaction with the results that had been achieved, and appointed him as the deputy head of the Presidential Security Council. In his State of the Nation address earlier, Putin suggested amending the Constitution to allow lawmakers, lawmakers, to name prime ministers and cabinet members. In other words, what Putin really is proposing is a kind of full parliamentary system where, just like in Great Britain, the, the majority party actually names cabinet ministers or the leader of that party names cabinet ministers. And that's what I suspect is going on here, all right? That's a very crucial point. Other changes would see the role of regional governors enhanced and residency requirements tightened for presidential candidates. Leading, I'm skipping all the way to the bottom, leading Kremlin critic Alexei Navalny said he expected any referendum to be, quote, fraudulent crap, unquote, and that Putin's goal remained to be, quote, sole leader for life, unquote. In other words, Joseph Stalin. <laughs> okay. Um, now, let me go to the second article at Zero Hedge. And I'm quoting just a few paragraphs, and then I'm going to give you my high-octane, off-the-end-of-the-twig speculation as to what I think is really going on. Uh, <coughs> pardon me. The Zero Hedge article says, quote, the Russian government unexpectedly resigns on Putin plans for um, drastic constitutional changes. Quote, Despite what appears a drastic shakeup afoot, Reuters suggests it's part of a plan that could result in Putin extending his power, despite a constitutional ban currently in effect, preventing him from running for more than two consecutive terms. It appears a bid for him to handpick the new government and enact reforms that could weaken his future successor. President Vladimir Putin on Wednesday proposed a nationwide vote on sweeping constitutional changes that would shift power from the presidency to parliament and the prime minister, a move that could allow him to extend his rule after leaving the Kremlin. Now, you would think that the Western press would think that that's a good thing, more democracy in Russia. But no, I suspect that 
that what I said earlier and what some of these analysts are saying is true. If you allow the Russian parliament to do that, that gives Putin a considerable amount of power, quote unquote, behind the scenes. All right. I'm skipping several paragraphs here and continuing in that Zero Hedge article. It would increase the role and significance of the country's parliament, of parliamentary parties, and the independence and responsibility of the prime minister. Skeptics, however, see it as an attempt to create more options to wield influence over the parliament even after he exits the presidency. But then again, one could argue that given Putin voiced a desire to change the constitution to give the state Duma, which is the lower house of parliament, the ability to select Russia's prime minister and other top positions, this actually creates more checks and balances and fundamentally diffuses power away from the executive. So in other words, any way you slice it, the political analysis here is going to be ambiguous. What's this really about? Now, let me go on record and, and try to um, settle everybody down. I do think Vladimir Putin is an authoritarian. I do think that he wants to stay in power. And I am not uh, crediting him with uh, altruistic, completely altruistic motives for doing so. But the way I'm looking at this, folks, is from the long haul. Because if you go back in Russian history, let's go all the way back to Tsar Peter the Great. There have always been two kind of political cultural tendencies within Russia. And one of those tendencies has gone under various names over the years. But in the 19th century, they were called westernizers. In other words, they, there was a group of politically connected people within Russia, even under the autocracy, under Nicholas II. And for that matter, most of those uh, czars of the 19th century that wanted to see Russia move in a direction of becoming more like the Western uh, constitutional monarchies or even secular republics. But then there was an opposite tendency also present within and throughout Russian history. And this really began with Peter the Great because Peter the Great was to a degree of that westernizing tendency. But by the time you get to the 19th century, when, you, when Russians realize they've got to go in a certain direction here, we can't keep doing what we've been doing uh, under the autocracy without changing the status quo. The other tendency was a group of people that were called the Slavophiles that believed that Russia and its cultural national identity were number one, rooted in orthodoxy, and number two, because of that fact, it could never be integrated completely within the Western political cultural matrix, all right? So you've had these two tendencies going for quite some time. Now, if you, if you update these tendencies a bit and you, you go to the post-Soviet era, you begin looking at Yeltsin and so on. And folks, I'm skipping massive amounts of details, however, um, this... This is a very complex story, so I'm just trying to summarize it for you so that you get what I think may be going on here. If you update this to the post-Yeltsin era, the Slavophiles become uh, kind of the anti-globalists within Russia, and the, the Westernizers become the Atlanticists. 
And for a while under Yeltsin, you've got to remember what happened under Yeltsin. You had the rape of Russia under the oligarchs, many of whom were aided and abetted by Harvard University in this country. Now, that's another connection that, that I don't want to go into. It's very complex, but it's definitely there. All right. Now, I suspect if, if those of you who know the details of this history really dig, you're going to find an unusual connection at Harvard. So let's put this, let's go back to the Soviet era and put this into perspective of what was going on in the 1930s in Stalin's Soviet Union. You had that big conflict throughout the 20s up through the 30s between Leon Trotsky and Joseph Stalin. And if you look at the two of them, both of them are certainly Marxists, okay? There's, there's no doubt about this. But the two of them are disagreed over a fundamental policy issue. Trotsky is the classic internationalist. In other words, he wants, once the revolution is established in Russia, he wants to export it as fast as he can elsewhere. So his policy, if you look at it, is kind of a globalist socialist policy. Stalin, on the other hand, wants to consolidate socialism within the Soviet Union first. And if you look at Stalin's policies, they're oddly nationalistic at times, and so much so that Trotsky often accuses him of abandoning the revolution to follow this kind of nationalistic and what Trotsky calls fascistic direction, all right? So in other words, that tendency of westernizers versus Slavophiles or Atlanticists or globalists, if you were, if you prefer, uh, as opposed to to the anti-globalists, this is a this is a tendency that's been there in Russian history for at least the last three hundred years, regardless of the regime that's in power. And this is what I'm trying to get across. Now, if we look at Putin, I think it's fairly clear whether he's a strong man or not, whether he's a neo-Stalin or not whether he's a bad guy or a good guy, none of this to me is what is at issue. What I suspect is at issue is that if you look at Putin, uh, particularly coming to power after Yeltsin and by Yeltsin's uh, mentorship, incidentally, I think what you see is an individual who stands more or less in that tradition of the Slavophiles, of, of Russian nationalism, of anti-globalism, because his speeches certainly reflect this. And if you look at Medvedev, on the other hand, he's always been kind of a moderate Atlanticist. So what I'm suspecting is going on here is that we have a situation where the powers that be behind the Putin regime have concluded that, no, in order to keep Russia stable and going in the direction that we want to go, we've got to keep this guy around uh, for as long as possible and as long as we legally can. In other words, I suspect that this is the old Westernizers versus Slavophiles, Trotskyites versus Stalinites or Stalinists, if you will, uh, that this is a phenomenon that has much deeper roots than just Vladimir Putin's uh, lust for power. I think there's something else going on behind the scenes and that um, the powers that be in the Russian deep state have seen the direction he's put the country on and they want to keep on that direction. In other words, they don't want Russia kowtowing to the West as would be the case uh, 
if you had another Atlanticist that was kind of a weak government as we had under Yeltsin. So this is my uh, this is my take on it. I know it's not going to be popular with a lot of you that like to hate Putin or love Putin, or you know, I'm, I'm not concerned with that. I think this is a deeply, deeply rooted political, cultural phenomenon phenomenon that you've seen throughout Russian history, regardless of the regime and the constitution under which it's been operating. So, if my analysis is correct, we shall see. Um, it's going to be really kind of the way that that the Russian people and more importantly, some of the uh, regional governors and so on respond to all of this. It's going to be uh, touch and go, but um, I don't think we're going to see that much of a shift regardless of what happens in Russia's policy for the foreseeable future, unless we do get another Atlanticist. Um, and in my opinion, folks, that would be a disaster for Russia and probably a disaster for the, re for the rest of us. Anyway, that's my news and views from the Nefarium. I had, I'm sorry, it wasn't, um, I wasn't paying much attention into the, um, into the chat room. So I'm sorry about that. But anyway, um, we will have the vid chat tomorrow at 1.30 p.m., a little bit early. Uh, I'll be in the chat room early for pre-chat. I've already got a bunch of questions. Make sure you get yours emailed in. And we'll see you on the flip side, everybody. Bye-bye, and God bless.